thought he was solid start to finish, you know, made some big saves for us, was fighting to make sure he could see the puck, uh, looked square and calm and relaxed in the net tonight, stayed upright, you know, big goalie, you got you to gotta make the perfect shot to beat him right now. Jared, you just said that word relaxed to describe Darcy Kemper's game. Is this maybe the most relaxed you've seen him play today in terms of just being focused and, and zoned in the entire night? Yeah, I mean, he just, yeah, he just looked calm and, and collected in the net. He looked like he, he was seeing everything. Um, we did a nice job clearing rebounds in front of him. So he was making all the first stops. Uh, they had some dangerous chances off the rush throughout the game. Um, yeah, I would say it's one of, you know, we, I don't think we gave up a lot in the second half of the game, but I do think that he made, you know, he made uh, some difficult saves look uh, relatively easy tonight. Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me, Arif Dean and Patrick Stedman, here to break down the last two games of Colorado Avalanche Hockey. There you had Jared Bednar breaking down the performance of his goaltender who has back-to-back shutouts, Arif. Not only back-to-back shutouts, but three shutouts in his last 10 starts just playing really good hockey, and I love a lot of the comments that he said there about him looking calm right now. So, Arif, how you doing? Let's talk some Darcy Kemper to open this podcast. His goaltender, that's all you got. His goaltender's performance, his savior, his king, his Darcy freaking Kemper. That's what he is. He's he's the king of the avalanche right now. I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm kind of am, but I oh, come on exactly like I kind of am, but I'm I'm really not like Darcy Kemper is on and and the way he played against the Vegas Golden Knights yesterday every single thing about that game was this confident guy that had his chest puffed up made saves with ease and said I don't give a fuck about Jack Eichel or your stupid team that can beat us in the playoffs like they did last year I wasn't here and you're not going to beat me that's that's what I'm getting from Darcy Kemper and and that's how you introduce him next time JJ <laughs> no, he had a monstrous game. I'm I'm with it. But of course, you know, a 10 game window isn't going to convince me that, you know, he's the all-star, he's the savior, he's the king. I need to see the season, the rest of the season, I need to see the playoffs, but you no, know, he's been playing some really good hockey and some of the saves he was making against Vegas, I mean, it looked like the Avs defense was collapsing a little bit in front of him and he was bailing them out left and right. So, and that was early on in the game. I think they got it a little bit more together throughout yeah. that game but he's been awesome but I, one thing I really wanted to zero in on those comments from Bednar is the calmness aspect of it right that's really what stood out both to you and I you asked that follow-up question saying hold on you mentioned calm um, but earlier in the season I remember Jared Bednar saying how you know while he was working with Darcy Kemper while he was saying he still has room to grow but he's been getting better every game I remember him mentioning something about his, you know, pregame routine. And you and I jokingly, for fun, pointed out the Darcy dance, right? The little warm-up he does Mm -hmm. during the national anthem. I'm curious if just reading into this a little bit too much, if he just has a pregame routine that psychs himself a little bit up too much, right? Or even psychs himself out. And that's why, you know, we tend to see him maybe slide out of position or just be a little bit too jumpy. And he's figured that out. 
I don't know if it's with Jared Bednar's assistance. I don't know if they're saying, hey, let's work on this pregame routine a little bit. Let's calm you down. Let's start the game with lower blood pressure here. And you're seeing it translate into the way he's playing right now because he has been looking different. He has looked a lot more calm, a lot more confident, and just well put together in that net. This is what I love about having you on this podcast is that that perspective because I, I would never – look at that perspective. I would never judge that perspective. I would never know what it means to be a goalie getting ready for a game. Granted, I played goalie as a kid in soccer, so I kind of understand the mental aspect behind it, but being a goalie in hockey is so much different. It's far different than what it means to be, you know, a forward or a defenseman or or any other position you can't relate to it unless you've done it. And I love that you have that perspective. To me, it looks like, you know, the only perspective that I have of what's been going on with Darcy is He came to a new team with all of this excitement and hype around him, joining a team that he saw last year seven or eight times with the Arizona Coyotes. Not that he played every single time, but, you know, he was on the other team seven or eight times in the regular season, saw a team that had a goalie in Philip Grubauer that went 39 and one and uh, got this big money deal and said, that could be me. All I have to do is show up and play behind this badass defense. And that could be me. And he came and he showed up and he said, okay, maybe there's a little bit more to what Philip Grubauer was doing. Maybe maybe what Gruby was doing over the three years he was there, it took him some time to acclimate and to become the goalie that he was last season. I need to figure out how to get there ASAP with help of UC Parkala and Jared Bender and his team, you know, his defense, having that communication. We talked about it in October, Eric Johnson talking about how the communication between a goalie and a defenseman is so different that it takes time to get adjusted to that. Which, by the way, makes it all the more impressive when you have like midseason goalie trades and a goalie comes in and just has a lights out year like, you know, I'm going to go a little bit further and date myself a bit. Dwayne Rollison with the Oilers in 2006 gets acquired at the deadline and takes them to the cup final and then gets injured and they lose in game seven. So like it's impressive to see someone do that, knowing what it takes for a goalie to get adjusted. That's the perspective that I see. I don't know if it's it's too much of a confidence thing for him, though. Do you do you agree with me there? I don't think confidence oh, plays no, no, much no, no, of no, a factor no. in his Absolutely game. Not. It's more about routine. Yeah, it's it's yeah, exactly. So I think he's confident in himself throughout, and it's just about tweaking things here and there for him. And I think they found the right tweaks. And you know, again, I don't. I'm purely speculating here, but based off comments I heard earlier in the season, I really think Jared Bednar and probably UC Parkula put their heads together and said, "Hey, how do we help this guy?" enter these games a little bit more calmly and just not be such a a spaz, right? Yeah. You saw a lot of spastic goaltending from Varlamov a lot. And then a couple of years passed and he calmed down. And ever since he moved to New York, he's calmed down tenfold since we first saw him here in, in Colorado. So I think there's some credit to the coaching staff due in, in Darcy Kemper's play of, as of late. Yeah, let me, let me break down a couple things for Darcy Kemper. It's a tale of two seasons from him. And we kind of got into this last time, but I'm going to get into this again, but with a little bit more to back it up. Darcy, the first 14 games, the first 14 decisions of the season, he was nine and five. And this was leading up to, I mentioned it last week, the Jed Alexander game in Toronto where Darcy was suddenly pulled and missed a week with an injury. So in those first 14 decisions from the mid-October until December 1st, he was nine and five and he was only nine and five because he played on the avalanche and the avalanche don't lose a lot of games. So he was nine and five. However, he had a 908 save percentage and that 908 save, sorry, a 903 save percentage. And that 903 save percentage was 
in the 50s in terms of where it ranks. I believe the exact number is 54th in the NHL during that stretch. 54 out of, think about it, 32 teams, two goalies per team on average. I know it's not completely, but 64 goalies and he was 54th or 55th, tied for 54th in terms of safe percentage. That's where he was to start the year. He had 40 goals against in his first 14 games. He wasn't playing well. Since then, there's only two goalies that have a better safe percentage than Darcy Kemper. And I'm not going to count the guys that have played like one game and, you know, faced 30 shots and stopped 29. I'm talking about goalies that have played at least 10 games since December 8th, since he returned from his injury. Vili Husso's played 10 games and has a 9.50 save percentage, which, holy shit, Bennington, you're no longer the starter there. Igor Shosturkin, the guy that everybody says is the favorite for the Vezina, has played 12 games and has a 9.39. And then third place is none other than Darcy Kemper, who's played 17 games, 17 decisions, has played 19 games, has a 9.34 save percentage, and leads the league with three shutouts. Nobody else has three shutouts other than Jacob Markstrom since that stretch. And in that stretch, Darcy is 15-0-2. Nobody else has 15 wins. He leads the NHL in wins. He's tied for the lead in shutouts. He's third place in safe percentage. It's a tale of two seasons. It took time for him to get to this point. He tweaked what he needed to tweak, the pregame routine, whatever it may be. And, you know, the whole point of my spiel earlier about when he came into this team it wasn't about confidence and being overconfident. It's just excitement, you know, getting traded from the Coyotes to the Avalanche and just coming in and being like, holy shit. Um, which, by the way, a little off note, did you see post game Rick Tockett and Paul Bissonnette asking Darcy Kemper about getting traded from the Coyotes and the way that the question was worded by, I forget the other guy that's on the on the panel, the way he worded it, he was like, hey, yeah, Kemper, you know these two guys, you played with him and he was your coach. How does it feel to get traded from the worst team to the Avalanche? And he was just like... <laughs> That was great. That was great. <laughs> I think one thing that's exceptionally great about Darcy Kemper that you're seeing, and you definitely saw it in that Las Vegas game, is what your point to your point, you're saying he took a second to acclimate to the team in front of him, right? And that's 100% it because he's reading the plays at a level that we haven't seen from him yet. He's reacting to the plays and he's reading them appropriately. And part of that is reading your own teammates, right? And how they're supposed to react and what they're going to do on a typical odd man rush or anything like that. We saw him be extra aggressive at times, right? I think he made one save where he was three feet in front of his crease looking like old school Patty Waugh. And then we saw him make a couple uh, odd man rush saves where he's reading the play, following it perfectly and reacting to the puck and not getting himself off balance. So everything about Darcy Kemper's play is exactly what we've been waiting for from him since the start of the season and it's just about keeping it up and maintaining this level for for the next three months right because we're nowhere near out of it no absolutely not but what i'm seeing from him recently because in january you know these numbers i just listed they include january and there were games in january where he was letting in bad goals and you and i were sitting in the press box sometimes and you would look at me and be like he shouldn't be doing that. There were so many goals that he was letting in. There was, you know, there was somewhere he was ending up on his ass, like a goalie. You know, I don't play goalie. You do. A goalie should never end up on his ass, sitting on the back of his ass, like in the crease. Never. That ever, should not ever, be a ever, thing. And it, that was happening a lot. 
So when he was making nice saves, he was kind of flailing and, you know, doing the Dominic Hasek thing without, you know, being as good as Dominic Hasek and as consistent as that. He was just kind of like desperation saves. But yesterday was so different. It's that calmness. That's why I followed up with that question with Jared. It's that calmness of the way he was making the saves. In the first period, he was sliding left to right and right to left. Just he was making, like Jared said, he was making difficult saves look easy. That Evgeny Dadanov breakaway save unreal like nothing when Dadonov went on that breakaway given the way that Kemper had been playing that game there wasn't even a little bit of nerves in me I'm like Kemper's got this and he's got one pad and he sticks the pad out aggressively and kicks the puck kicks it away yeah Dadonov had the entire top of the net to shoot at but if he did maybe Kemper would have done something to stop that too but he just made it look so easy he was calm he was composed his composure was spot on it was that same composure we saw from Philip Grubauer in the regular season last year where he was always just focused hyper focused the entire time and if you get that version of Darcy Kemper knowing what he's done on bad teams playing on a good team now getting that same business as usual face that the rest of the avalanche have had all year that Gabe Landeskog had after they beat the Montreal Canadiens and he made it sound like they lost, then you're in for a surprise, man. This guy's going to lead the team if he plays like that. And I'm not overhyping him. I waited 17, 18, 19 games for him to post these numbers consistently before I start pumping this guy's tires this way. This is enough of a sample size to say he gets it. He understands it. And if there's anything to be worried about now from Darcy Kemper not being the goalie that you need to win a Stanley Cup, being a Stanley Cup winning goaltender is an injury, not his play. So this whole idea that they need to bring in another goalie, I don't see that being a thing anymore. And it's hilarious that we're mentioning all of this knowing that he finally, including Philip Grubauer last year, they finally on this team have a capable backup that can step in when you need him. Granted, he didn't have the best game against Dallas, but he can step in when you need him. But your starting goalie, you've got all the confidence in the world in him. And that's what you have in Darcy Kemper now. 100%. I mean, let's go back to Christmas break when I was sitting here saying, hey, looks like Darcy Kemper's starting to come come to, right? He's figuring out his game a little bit, but we still haven't seen a shutout from him. Like I pointed out to start the show, he's got three in his last 10. I think that says everything about where he's at right now as an athlete, right? Not just a a goalie or an avalanche goalie right now, but an athlete as a whole. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, everything we're seeing from this guy looks like a guy who's ready to take that next step and already has, and and that's exactly what you need. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about it when you guys were talking about three shutouts in the last 10 games, and I was thinking, I remember just JJ kind of not harping on him, but just saying, like, you know, he's fine, he's okay, he's he's playing okay. There's another but level there's another there, level though. There. Yeah. I want to see a shutout, and now... Fast forward to now, you know, you've seen three of them. So I kind of wanted to have you just touch on now that you've seen three of them. I mean, the confidence level has got to be through the roof with this guy, uh, which you guys have already been talking yeah. about. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the confidence is there. But I think just most importantly, you know, the the team is starting to see, OK, this is a guy that we can believe in. This isn't a guy that's going to let it up those squeakers. That's not, you know, we had a podcast yes. over a year and a half called Stinkers Happen, right? Well, mm-hmm. stinkers can't happen when you're on the road to a Stanley Cup. And, uh, you know, I, so I, I think he, as long as he keeps those stinkers out of his game and he's playing the way we're seeing, he's co- constantly building the confidence of his teammates and his coaching staff. And that 
fuels his confidence, right? Nothing feels better than having your teammates believe in you, having your coach say, this is our guy. We have no doubts about it. And I'm going to close out the Darcy Kemper conversation with just a quick stat. Do you guys remember leading up into that game on December 1st, the goalie whose tires I was pumping leading up into that game against Toronto? No. Uh, The guy for the Maple Leafs. Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell. Do you remember that? Heading into that Toronto game, I I was talking about how this guy just doesn't let in goals and the Avalanche are going to sign him this summer and all this stuff. Well, that December 1st game, I mentioned a specific stat, which Darcy Kemper is now doing a great job at, and especially the last two games, he's done an exceptional job at it. Darcy Kemper, like Jack Campbell back then in November, just wasn't letting in three goals a game. It was always two or less or fewer. Sorry, I hate when I say that. Two or fewer goals. Well, against the Avalanche that game, yeah, the Maple Leafs put up eight goals and yeah, they played against Jonas Johansson, but the Avs got three on Jack Campbell. And since then, his season has kind of unraveled. Not extremely crazy, but what was once a 940 goaltender, Jack Campbell is now a 921 save percentage, tied for seventh in the NHL. He's tied with two guys. Do you know who those two guys are? Hit me. Pavel Francouz and Darcy Kemper. Pavel Francouz and Darcy Kemper both have 921 save percentages. And the last time we talked about Jack Campbell, when I was pumping his tires a couple months ago, three months ago, Campbell was in the 930s and 940s. Frankie was injured and Kemper was a 903. And now they're all 921s. It's funny how it goes around. And that's after the Dallas game that we'll get to in a little bit here, but he didn't exactly have the best performance. But no. let's stick let's stick with goalies because Laurent Brassois did have a pretty good game, right? I mean, it was fun seeing the goaltender battle between him and Kemper. But at the same time, I want to point out, while you know, to kind of go off all those stats that you just read, Vegas just seems to have the recipe for holding the Avalanche to limited goals, right? So here's a fun little stat I pulled. In the last 16 games that these two have played, including the playoffs, Vegas has held Colorado to less than three goals 14 times out of 16. Holy now, shit. let me keep going. <laughs> Ve- Vegas has held the Avalanche to less than, or two goals or less, right? So the last one was three goals or less. Okay. This one is two goals or less, nine out of the 16 times. So the Avalanche just are not scoring. I don't, I don't know. You know, I think last year it was easy to say, oh, well, Marc-Andre Fleury is so good. Robin Leonard's got a lot of talent. Laurent Bassois, he's a good goalie, but I don't think he's so amazing that a potent offense like the Avalanche should struggle on him. The three, three goals or less, so including three goals, was 14. Is that what you said? Uh, three goals or less, 14. Okay, all right. I thought it was less than three goals was 14. That's why my eyes kind of widened. I thought 14 out of 16 times the Avalanche scored two, one, or zero. So, yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. But, you know, I that I mean, I've seen it. I mean, other than that game one shellacking of Robin Leonard, or I think it was Robin Leonard that started that game, where they came out and scored six goals on him. Uh, mm-hmm. The goal, okay, so remember a few years ago when the Avalanche would go into Nashville and lose every fucking game? Or where they would go into Minnesota and lose every single time. That's yeah. the way that it feels like when they go to T-Mobile Arena now. I know they just beat them yesterday. But that arena, something about the way those fans kind of, those rabbit, that rabid fan base kind of sits above you. And they're always standing. So like you have to look above the fans' heads to look at the ice when you're watching it on TV. Something about that rink gets to the Avs. 
And we saw it early in the game yesterday when Vegas was pouring it on and Darcy Kemper was holding him, holding his own and he didn't look frightened the way Gruby did last year, letting in goals where he was looking the wrong direction. He wasn't rattled, but the Avalanche looked like they were. And that's what you're seeing from the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you know, we talk a lot about the dragon you need to slay to make it to the Stanley Cup final. For the Avalanche, it's this team. You know, the Toronto Maple Leafs have a dragon called the Boston Bruins. The Vancouver Canucks, in order to make the cup final in 2011, they had to beat the uh, Chicago Blackhawks that had beaten them twice in a row before that. There's always that one team. You got to get over that freaking hump. And this is that team for the Avalanche. It's the Vegas Golden Knights. And maybe the Calgary Flames defeat them and you don't even have to end up playing them. Maybe Vegas loses in the first round. Something happens. I sure hope not, though. But Just no, like last year. You want This to play is the them. Western Conference final I think NHL fans deserve, right? I mean, I this agree. is just such a good matchup. And that's what's curious to me about the, the low-scoring affairs, I guess, that they have. Because it's such a back-and-forth, a really fast game. It's nothing like the Dallas game where, you know, you kind of start to get bored. Dallas just clogging the middle and playing a heavy game. No, this is a fun game to watch. Mm-hmm. And still not, not many goals being scored. So it's kind of peculiar. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, it's peculiar. And the reason why it happens is because they both play such a, such a heavy game. Do you think the lack of Robin Leonard and also the lack of Mark Stone, do you think those two make a big enough difference to where that game goes differently? Do you think? No. That's Okay. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a fast Full stop. Answer. Full stop. Yeah, full stop. And the reason why I say that is because the the the, uh, the excuse me the Vegas Golden Knights, like the Avalanche, are good enough where you can be missing one or two pieces and win games. Remember that big game against the Tampa Bay Lightning? Nathan McKinnon wasn't there. You got to do these things. You know, the Vegas Golden Knights have won a lot of big games without Mark Stone or Pacioretty, you know, without Jack Eichel. I mean, let's face it, Jack Eichel played. Like, I know he hasn't played in almost a year, and this was his first game, and you can kind of see him shaking off the cobwebs. That's not the Jack Eichel we're going to see in two months. In two months, you're going to see a much better version of him than what we saw yesterday. But this is a team with a lot of weapons, and they were missing one or two. You know, such is the game, such is the sport of hockey. You're never going to always have them, and the better teams when they're missing one or two pieces, it doesn't affect them. We've seen it from the Avs all year, and and that's my long way of saying no. I don't think it would have made a difference. Um, the Avalanche would have had that game either way, just the way they were playing, the way Kemper was playing, and the way they came out in that third period. I just personally don't believe that uh, Robin Leonard is that good of a goaltender to really be a starter and a, and a guy that you could really lean on. And it's funny to think about, right? Because as excited as everyone is in Vegas for having Jack Eichel on the team, it's at the sacrifice of Mark Stone. So we won't really get to see what they look like full steam until playoff times if, if you know, Mark Stone's poor back is even ready by that point. I still think the Vegas Golden Knights aren't going to do the Tampa Bay thing. Well, I mean, depends on his back. Because I think if Stone is ready to go before the playoffs, I think they're going to go out of their way and make some trades and bring him in ASAP. Because I don't think, like, the Tampa Bay thing was so unique. And I know, again, I'm not saying they're playing the cap. I'm not going to get into that conversation and call them cheaters and say it's bullshit or any of that. You know, this is this is the system. And if you have an opportunity to handle it or, or, or to do this, you're going to do it. I promise you. If Eric Johnson gets injured tomorrow, knock on wood, he doesn't. But if he gets injured tomorrow and his recovery time is seven weeks, Sack and Bender are going to be like, hey, let's make it nine weeks. What do you say? Let's just 
let's just get those extra couple of weeks. And that's probably what Tampa Bay did yes last year. You saw Kucherov start to skate and get ready, and then game one of the playoffs, boom, full steam ahead. So I don't think the Vegas Golden Knights are going to do that if Mark Stone is ready to go sooner because it would be better for them to trade somebody like Dodonov or Riley Smith or whoever they have to trade to clear up that cap space. It might be two guys. It would be better for them to do that, get Stone in the lineup, and get acclimated with his new team. Kucherov, the Lightning knew what they were going to get in Kucherov. The Vegas Golden Knights don't know what they're going to get in a duo of Mark Stone and Jack Eichel. And I don't think they want to wait until game one of the playoffs to be like, all right, do you guys got chemistry? Let's see it. And then suddenly they play bad and it's like, all right, and well, now we got to change the lineup and now you're trailing two nothing in a series and you're like, why are we down two nothing in the first round? This shouldn't have happened. No, you got to get those guys together ASAP. So it works now for them to get, you know, Mark Stone onto LTIR to get Eichel in the lineup without having to do anything yet. But I don't think they're waiting until the summer. I think they're just kicking the can down the road, assuming Mark Stone is ready to go before the playoffs. That's just my opinion on the situation. And it would make more sense for them to, you know, to approach it as such. Right. And in, uh, sticking with Patrick's question, I think a bigger factor would be, like you're saying, Jack Eichel acclimating to his team a little bit. I mean, that was mm-hmm. his first game in a year. He ended up with a minus one, one shot on goal. I think we know a much more dangerous version of Jack Eichel that uh, two has penalties. to get used to who he's playing with. Yeah. But with that, you know, what what did you think of Jack Eichel's debut? Do you, do you think he played well do you think he is going to cause a, a threat or do you think the avalanche kind of have him marked up pretty well and can match up against him just fine he's going to cause a threat he is an unbelievable player and he is once he's acclimated he's going to cause a threat look here's the thing about jack eichel this is one of the best players in the nhl and uh, it, it really like it breaks my heart to see the amount of people that were shitting on him yesterday on twitter and i'm just like jack what did Jack Eichel do to hurt any of you? Like (laughs) he didn't do anything. He had a falling out with previous management about an injury thing, which by the way, I think that that was handled poorly on both sides, but about 90% Buffalo side, 10% Jack Eichel camp. Um, and then got traded to the team you hate, which is pretty much why you now hate him, you know, just for being on that team, uh, guilty by association, as I like to say, which is, which is valid. Which is valid, yeah, because, I mean, as a, as a fan, like, that's that's what you do. Like, it's very valid, but, like, Jack Eichel is a good player. So it's okay to hate him. It's okay to be like, ha-ha, we beat you. But the comments that I'm getting in the, in the tweets and, and, and the, the amount of people that are like, he's nothing, he's proved nothing. Well, yeah, f- fucking of course he's proved nothing. What can he prove on the Buffalo Sabres? What did Ryan O'Reilly prove on the shitty avalanche for seven years before going to Buffalo, which was also crap, coming out to the media and saying, I hate the game of hockey. I don't even have fun with this anymore. Gets traded to the St. Louis Blues and now he's a Conn Smythe Trophy winner. Looking at everybody like suck on that one. Like, look who I am now. Like, that's just the way it works. So there was no way for him to, you know prove his worth on the Buffalo Sabres. They just weren't good. What does Connor McDavid want other than a couple of Art Ross trophies? What's he want? Absolutely nothing. So I don't get the whole idea that Jai Keiko's not a good player. I think in a couple months, everybody's going to bite those words that thinks that. And I genuinely think some people think that. I don't think they're just like looking at it from, you know, the, the lens of I'm an avalanche fan. I genuinely think some people think Jai Keiko's not a good player, but Vegas has been missing the star. They've had a lot of good players. They have the Pacioretty's and the Stones and the Petrangelo's and the Theodore's and the Marchessos and all these guys. And Carlson scored 43 goals. Marc-Andre Fleury was a bit of a, you know, a, a celebrity there, even though he's not one of the best goalies in the NHL right now. You know, 
I know he won the Vezina last year, but like when you think top goalies right now, it's like Shesterkin, it's Soros, it's it's uh, who's the guy I'm missing, Vasilevsky. But they've never had that all-star. They've never had that McKinnon, that Matthews, that McDavid. They've never had that guy. And I think Jack Eichel, over the next three years, he's going to be in that conversation every single year. Once he's acclimated to this team and he's back to being himself, you're going to see him right up there with the Matthews and McDavid and McKinnons every year in points and goals and all of it. So I don't think the Avalanche have him figured out. I think he is going to be a threat, but I also think the Avalanche are good enough where you know, bring it. Yeah, I'm with that. I mean, the Avalanche have an X factor that simply gives them the leg up over Vegas, I think, every time, especially moving forward. And there's only one of them, and it's Kale McCarr. Mm-hmm. Not sure if you knew, but Kale McCarr has five assists on the Avalanche's last seven goals <laughs> and an assist on each of the last three. So Unreal. Remember, we were, we were talking in the last podcast how so much of the offense starts on Kale McCarr's stick or Devon Taves, right? And they're they're just both facilitators and playmakers, and we're just seeing it from Kale McCarr at another level. So I had to point out that assist stat. Five assists on the last seven Colorado goals. So he's just creating, creating, creating every time he's on the ice. Full steam ahead for that kid, man. He's he's got the Norris trophy pretty much all but locked up at this point. I he's he's been spectacular. Uh, let's take a quick second and a little break for our friends over in Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton. Everybody already knows about Total Beverage in both Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. You hear that, Patrick? You can drink recipes online. You can actually (laughs) physically drink a recipe online. Oh, dude, I can't wait. I can't wait. That makes me think of I'm going online right now. Do Do you remember the uh, Simpsons episode where Homer decides to put on a bunch of weight so he can go on disability and work from home? And he's trying yeah. he's trying to get Dude. his he's trying to get his computer started. He's looking for the any key and he doesn't find an any key. But he's like, ooh, a tab. I, I, that sounds nice. And he holds his cup up to the the little disc inserter yeah. and he's trying to get a get a cup of something. He's like, oh, no time for that. The computer's starting. <laughs> That's what that reminded me of. I don't uh, know. The Simpsons. Dude, I, I love a Simpsons reference. Do you remember that episode? Sorry, this is going to be a Simpsons podcast now. You remember the episode where they cross tobacco and tomatoes and make tomacco? This tastes like grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. And he goes, what are you talking Oh, this does taste like grandma. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, All right, sorry. We can go back to hockey now. Back back to the Simpsons meets hockey. Oh, I could do that all day, man. I could uh, Simpsons is my life. I grew up on that stuff. Um, same, man, same. Uh, let's get into the Dallas game. I think the real storyline behind that, obviously it was a little challenging. Remember going into it, I said, it. be careful, Arif. I know you think going into Ball Arena means the Avalanche have a sure win here, but it's so hard to beat a team twice in a row when you're paying them back-to-back. And I think the most notable part of that game is the 19-point streak snapped. So let's get into that game a little bit. It was a, a, a different game, but I think playing them the night before definitely had a factor in it. Not the night before, I the think game so. before. Yeah, yeah, the game before. I think it did. I also think the Avalanche kind of, you know, they won a lot of back-to-backs last year. Granted, 
LA's and San Jose's and blah, blah, blah. You know, I think they did it to St. Louis and Minnesota a few times too, but, um, it is difficult. And, uh, the reality is, look, it, it comes down to this. And I know this is the easy way to say it after all we've seen the last two months, because the avalanche hadn't lost in regulation since December 16 against the Nashville predators in that COVID game. But it comes down to this. You're not going to win them all. You're not going to have your legs every night. And sometimes you're going to get goalied. And, and I think all three of those things happen against the Dallas Stars. I know the Avalanche had like 40-something shots on Jake Ottinger, but I also don't think they were very dangerous. Jared Bender said it himself. He said, we we didn't make it difficult for him. Uh, you know, he was seeing a lot of pucks. We didn't do our, you know, our job of getting traffic in front of the net. And I agree with that. I mean, what's good with a 50 or 60 even safe performance when it's 50 or 60 routine shots? Like, that's yeah. I mean, it's it's not a huge deal. You you face that in warmups. So it's it was the kind of game where the Avalanche didn't really have their legs. They didn't have their game, and and you saw it. They had an unsuccessful challenge that Frankie and and everybody was quite frankly uh, disappointed and and frustrated with. Um, but it's also one of those things where I'm not going to sit there and break down that goalie interference as the reason why they or the the unsuccessful challenge as the reason why they lost the game. Um, I think Dallas was the better team, even though they had less, fewer shots. And uh, like you said, they they do a good job of clogging up the game and just making it just sucking the life out of it. And the Avalanche just couldn't get out of that rut and lost in regulation for the first time in right around two months. Ottinger with 46 saves that night. And I'm going to disagree with you. I thought he played pretty well. I'm I'm with you and I'm with Jared Bednar. There wasn't enough traffic in front of him. They weren't taking his eyes away. But I also think that's where the playing a team for the second night in a row comes into play. Let me tell you why. I'm going to break this down real fast. If you remember Jared Bednar's comments uh, after that game, and he was breaking down that first goal, he basically said that Dallas switched their power play up from one game to the other. Because if you remember in game one, the Avalanche were perfect on the penalty kill. It was either 0 for 3 or 0 for 4. So going into game two, the Avalanche had prepared for a similar power play out of Dallas, and Jared Bednar mentioned that they switched it on him, and they really spread it out. If you watch that goal, it all five players on the Dallas Stars touch the puck. It starts on the point, uh, let's, let's just say the right side of the ice. You're looking at a camera angle from behind the goal, right? You're looking at Francis's back here. The, the defenseman on the right point starts with the puck. He whips it across to the defenseman on the left side. That defenseman whips it back to the right side down low. That forward snaps it across to the left side down low, who then snaps it across the ice. So the puck crossed the Royal Road three times on that power yeah. play, right? And so that's kind of one thing that Jared mentioned that, uh, you know, he just kind of wasn't ready for it. They had to go in and intermission and kind of re-strategize, watch some film, and kind of adjust the penalty kill a little bit. Yeah, and, and they struggled to do that. And, and I mean, special teams in general were the issue because Dallas was two for three on the PP. And the one power play that they didn't score on was because Darren Helm hustled and drew a penalty 25 seconds later. So the only kill the Avs had was a 25-second kill. And it's because Dallas kind of did change. You know, we let's go back to where we talked about. If we're going to mention the things that this team does well... We're also going to mention the, t- the things that they don't do well. And Jared Bednar, we pumped his tires a little bit for being able to adjust on the fly. Uh, you know, a couple months ago in terms of coaching in game, that was a situation where he didn't. But that was a situation where he at least noticed it at the end of the game, where if there was a third game against Dallas, I would expect the Avalanche would have been able to change the way they approach that. 
But that's also where I think, I guess I didn't get to finish my full thought there. That's where I think uh, the avalanche, you know, and that situation of not getting enough bodies to the net came into play. Because if you're an NHL coach, you're probably prepared. All right, we got to throw something different at them in game two than we did at game one. And I noticed a little bit of different strategies in the avalanche's power play, right? They were doing that little one-timer to the to the same side short circle right there. Um, so I think maybe Jared Benner trying to switch it a little bit on Dallas is kind of the result that you saw not getting enough bodies because it was just a tweak that maybe the players weren't on the same page with or just were a, a step behind in adjusting. Does yeah, that make sense? I, Did I vocalize yeah. my thought there? Sometimes I should. Yeah, bit, yeah. So. I, I think I know what you're getting at, and I, I, I could see that. Yeah, I agree with that. And then another thing from that game, I mean, yeah, like you said, you could sit here and point out the uh, goalie interference, but it was just a, a weird game in that sense, right? Because the second goal even was where Francis tried to go stop the puck, but it didn't cross the trapezoid, so he basically went behind the net for no yeah. reason, and chaos ensued. So while the Dallas Stars played a good game and deserved that win wholeheartedly, it was kind of a funky win. Right, I think it was only they only ended with twenty shots on goal. Um, so I, I'm not throwing stones at Francis here, but just a, a weird night, I guess, for Colorado. Yeah, and and those games happen. I think the most miraculous thing about that streak coming to an end is the fact that that didn't happen for two months. Like that's it's 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 a crazy way to say it, but like they managed to keep their composure and even in the games where they looked like they were starting to bend they didn't break and then they would come back and make a comeback but they just they didn't have it against Dallas and you could kind of sniff it in the air as Dallas got that first goal and that second goal you're like this is the night where the avalanche just aren't able to come back but you can't say that they just got beat right they didn't get outworked they didn't get outshot I just I mean we pointed out some goofy goals and one two of them were on the power play so I'm with you It, it wasn't a night where they just simply didn't have it they just couldn't I guess beat the goalie. They couldn't figure out a few things. I don't think that you can ha- hang your hat on saying they played a bad night that night. No, they they definitely didn't. They just they didn't do enough to beat that goalie on a night where he was playing the way he was. And mm-hmm. and and you know that might be a simple way to put it, but I I guarantee you right now the Vegas Golden Knights um, they don't feel like they got beat by the Avalanche. I don't think they do. I think they just probably think to themselves, uh, yeah, the second half of the game we didn't have a lot of grade A scoring opportunities, but we had quite a few of them early, and and we got beat you know by a goalie that wouldn't let us score. And Kemper's part of the team, like he's part of the Avalanche. When you lose to Kemper, you lost to the Avalanche. That's a logo on the front of his jersey. It's right freaking there. It's where the puck was shot 30 times cuz he was in position. But the point is I don't think Vegas comes out of that Colorado game yesterday saying they have our number and we need to readjust. I think they come out of that game and say damn it, they were a little bit better and they got the saves that we couldn't get late in the game. Um and I feel like the Avalanche looked at the Dallas game the same way. 4-1 might make it look like it was worse than it was, but I don't think it was that bad. They said, we got beat by Joe Pavelski. I was going to say, Joe Pavelski <laughs> stood on his head that game. He was involved in every single goal. That right, he, he, was, he was the four-checker on that Francis blunder behind the net there. He, he was on, in on both of the power play goals. I think he had a four-point night that night. Yeah, let's go, back, let's go back to what I was saying. The Avalanche acquire Claude Giroux, win the Stanley Cup shake Giroux's hand, shake Nazem Kadri's hand. They both walk, and then they say, hey, Pavelski, you want to sign here for a year for the repeat? We got you. That guy and would be he would, such... He a, just strikes me as such a Jared Bednar-type player, right? Like, he so but, is. Yeah, he's just the epitome of it. When he was when he was named captain of the Central Division, that's all I thought. I was like, yep, Jared Bednar with Joe Pavelski, Kale McCarr, and Nazem Kadri. That was the line that started the final 
in the All-Star game in that little tournament. And I'm like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. So those are all my thoughts from the last two games. I mean, two, you know, I guess we've seen three out of the four goalies have just been fun to watch. Uh, you know, Francis kind of struggled, didn't really have the best game, but between Ottinger, Brassois, and Kemper, these last two games were an absolute delight for me and uh, just seeing some fun hockey, fun goaltending, and the uh, the VGK Colorado series has to be a Western Conference final round. It has to, has to, has to for all hockey fans everywhere because it would just be another treat. And and how great would it be for the Avalanche to finally slay that dragon, finally? I say like they've been doing it for 10 years. It's been one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I agree with that, and I also I think we're going to be spoiled with the playoffs this year in the Western Conference going back to the regular setup because I don't know who the Avalanche are going to play in the first round. It might be Dallas, it might be Anaheim, it might be any one of those teams, Winnipeg, if they can get back in the race, but it might even be Nashville. But the second round, you could have a Colorado-Minnesota and a Vegas-Calgary. Oof, that'd be fun. That'd be so fun. And, you know, I, I hate to discount the Edmonton Oilers, but the Calgary Flames look exceptional right now. Let's, Calgary is legit. Let's not, they're a contender. They're, they're 100% legit. Daryl Sutter's got his fingerprints all over that team. The Tyler Toffoli acquisition is incredible. And uh, here's a fun little stat. The game for Vegas before they lost to the Avalanche last night was a 6 to nothing loss to the Calgary Flames. So Vegas has been shut out twice in a row to both of these teams that they might see in the playoffs. Hey, what do you know? Um, yeah, I was going to spit out that shut. Remember when I went down a rabbit hole of looking at shutouts the other day and just know that the Avalanche yeah. are on a really strong streak of not being shut out. What is it? Eighty-nine games or nine? It took you like half the second period to find well, the stat. Well, you were you were kind of yeah. Zoned I was in. zoned in. I looked at every single team's results from all year and seeing which teams haven't been shut out. There were four. I don't know if you saw the tweet, but it's Calgary, Tampa Bay, Colorado, and St. Louis. No, Tampa Bay has been shut out. It wasn't mm-hmm. Tampa Bay. Shoot, now I'm now I'm messing up my own story. But it was forty-one yeah, games it? from last yeah. year, and whatever they have this year. So what eighty? 86 probably at this point. So 86 consecutive games yeah. without a shutout. That's pretty strong. Took him took him half took him half the second period to come up with I the did it during intermission. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um let's wind down the show. We got a couple questions from some listeners, so we're going to hit 3 of them and uh then we'll be out of your hair for a couple days here. So we're going to start off with this one era from Jack Yoshi at Jet Jack Pack. That's a that's a little bit of a mouthful. Say that. Say that three times fast. Some alliteration, some JJ in there, so I'm all about it. He says, hey, guys, I've got a question for the next pod. Should the Avalanche target Phil Kessel? He's a reliable depth piece who can score and is never out injured. Plus, Arizona can retain on his salary. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Jack, for the compliments. Arif, what are your thoughts on Phil Kessel? Shout out, Jack. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. And let <laughs> us know how gr- how much you love us if you haven't already. But uh, um on Phil Kessel, I don't think that's the guy you go for. And the reason why I say that is because he's a notch below that top level of guys that are going to be available, like Claude Giroux, potentially even Joe Pavelski if the Dallas Stars you know, fall out of the race a little bit, which they're right there right now. But the reason why he's not the guy to get is because despite him being a level below those guys, he still got that high salary. He makes $8 million a year, but Toronto's already in 1.2. So he's a $6.8 million player. So the cap gymnastics that the Avalanche are going to have to go through in order to make it work for bringing him in just aren't worth it. 
you know, you got to trade him to another team and give him an asset to eat half and then get him here and whatever, where it's like, if there wasn't salary cap, yeah, hell yeah. Bring in Phil Kessel, let him play on your third line or even your fourth line and be a power play specialist. But there is a salary cap. And because he's a $6.8 million guy, you can get what he does from another player making one or two million without having to go through all that. So I don't mean to undermine how great Phil Kessel is, especially in the playoffs, but it's just not worth the headache it would cost to make it happen in terms of the salary cap. Yeah, I think it's easy to look at bad teams' shiny pieces and covet them, right? But you have to remember the salary cap has major implications. And I think as Avs fans, we're all spoiled from the days of old when there was no salary cap and Pierre Lacroix would just go get every single great player yeah. available. Blake, Bork, whoever you want. Yeah, they, they, yeah. No, and I don't want to undermine how good Phil Kessel is. He genuinely is. I just don't think that's the piece that's going to make the most sense given his cap and the fit on this team. Either way, thanks for the kind words, Jack. Next question from Hassan Samanter at H. Samanter. I couldn't help but ask, from what I gather from listening to the podcast, this is obviously a question directed at you. You are a Detroit Lions fan in the NFL, a Michigan fan in college. How did you stay away from the Red Wings and become an Avs fan? And now look at you covering the Avs media, Arif. So answer, Hassan, what gives? It didn't, it didn't go that way. He's a huge Red Wings fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm just an avalanche <laughs> hater. I'm here to take over the media from Detroit. Why the hell did someone hire that? I genuinely had people tweet me that, and I'm like, man, if you've, if you've seen the stuff that I used to tweet and post on Facebook about the Red Wings, the dead wings, the dead things, and be that idiot that almost would get his ass beat every time he would go to the Joe Louis Arena, not because Red Wings fans are assholes to away team fans, because I, as a road team fan, was an asshole to the home team fans where I deserve to get my ass kicked. So, no, I wasn't a Red Wings no fan. No girl. Talking to you in high school, no girls talking. Just, just hockey guy for a team that nobody knows. And who, who, what the hell is wrong? And now I'm like on Instagram with like all these pictures of me doing this hockey thing. They're like, this loser still. (laughs) Um, But yeah, to answer your question, I, I was born in Canada and I lived there until I was about ten or eleven, twelve years old, whatever. And my brothers both grew up and were born in Montreal, so. They were Montreal Canadiens fans. Well, really, they were Patrick Waugh fans. So when Patrick Waugh got traded to the Avalanche, I was a wee little child. I was three years old when Patrick Waugh got traded to the Avs. But I watched hockey with my brothers, and what they decided to do was start watching the Avalanche. So I watched the Avalanche, and then I grew up an Avalanche fan. And then um, as their fandom of the Avs kind of reached its peak, mine just kept going and going and going and going and going and going and it kept getting higher and higher to the point where I became this psycho crazy avalanche fan that eventually went to school to be a journalist and now lives in Colorado. So that's how I escaped the Red Wings. Um, Detroit Lions, it's easy. My first time watching football was when I lived in Michigan. So that was the home team. I got into college football when I lived in Michigan and I attended Michigan and that was the home team. Uh, Funny enough, I lived in Toronto and I remember this vividly when I was in grade five and that was the year that the Avalanche had Korea and Solani. That's how I remember my school years. It was which year was it from the Avalanche because I'm that big of a fan as a kid. And that was also the year that I got into basketball. So I'm a Toronto Raptors fan because that was the home team. So I also respect the Pistons and I I like watching the Pistons win, but I'm a Raptors fan. 2019 was great for me because that was my origin story. So my origin story in hockey came before I moved to Detroit 
and it came in a very weird way to lead me to being an Avalanche fan. And, you know, now I, I, I don't call myself a fan anymore. And I'm not just saying that to be diplomatic because I have a credential. Like I genuinely, it is different now when you can peel back the curtain, you don't feel the same way. And I genuinely don't call myself a fan anymore for that reason. But, you know, I'm not going to, you know, avoid the fact that I grew up for 20 something years, just a hardcore maniac of an Avalanche fan. So are you a Toronto Argonauts fan? I never really got into that <laughs> Canadian football. <laughs> let's let's leave that one aside. I know, right, Patrick? Get Arif talking and about oh. himself, and it'll go twenty five minutes here. <laughs> Thanks Seriously. a lot, Hassan. Oh, I just woke up. Jeez, Hassan didn't up. even give us any compliments either. Just kidding, Hassan. <laughs> we come on, man. The guy listens to our podcast. <laughs> Cut him some slack. No. We love you, Hassan. Thanks for the question. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I hate to call him Hassan because I sound like I'm whitewashing the name. It's Hassan. I'm Arab. I'm going to pronounce it the right way. So shout out to Just you. Just teasing Hassan. We love the engagement. So thanks for the question. <laughs> Next one, we're going to... That's pretty good. Tiffany. Thanks. I do my best. Tiffany at TiffNicole18. Do you understand how all the cap stuff works? I've seen that Jeru's cap hit won't be as high as it normally would be because it's so late in the year. I can't remember where, but I saw someone said it would be around 1.8 mil. And before you answer this question, Arif, I know there's a lot of excitement around Claude Giroux. And I really feel like in Avalanche land, it's at a point where if Claude Giroux doesn't come to Colorado, it's going to be a major disappointment. And people are going to really feel, I guess, at a loss. I think on national media level, it's there too, because that's where they're talking. There's a little bit of talk of the Florida Panthers could swoop in and take him, but I think the avalanche is the one that makes the most sense. Now, in regards to the salary cap thing, first of all, I'm going to shout out Peter Baugh, because I had a conversation with him about this the other day, because he wrote an article on the 10th, so last Thursday, explaining how the salary cap would work leading up to the trade deadline. I'm going to try my hardest to explain this. I should have practiced it beforehand. So the Avalanche right now have, and this is, could be off by a few thousand because you can accrue salary cap and lose salary cap based off of how much of LTIR you use. I'm not going to get into that and bore you with that. Go read the collective bargaining agreement. It's a whole lot of nothing. So let's go off of the number from last week. When I looked this up last week, the Avalanche had $288,000 in cap space. So 288K, 0.288 million. So not even enough for a league minimum player. Now, when you get to the trade deadline, a regular season this year, the season is 200 days. So players are kind of, they, they don't get paid year round around the calendar. They don't even get paid in the playoffs, by the way. They get all of their paychecks from day one of the regular season until the last day of the regular season. That's when a player gets his entire, Nathan McKinnon gets his entire 6.3 million. He doesn't get paid in May and June and July. He gets paid from day one to day whatever, which is game 82. Usually it's about 186 days. This year it's 200 days because that Olympic break kind of elongated it a little bit. So a regular season is 200 days. So Claude Giroux makes 8.275 million. But when you acquire him on trade deadline day, not before, I'm going to go based off of on trade deadline day, that's exactly 40 days before the regular season ends. So when you say the Avalanche have 288,000 in cap space, you have to multiply it by five. Because what you're doing is you're acquiring a player for only one-fifth of the season. So you're not eating his entire salary. You're eating one-fifth of it. So instead of having 288K in salary, you have about roughly 1.4 million in trade deadline cap space. 
So does that make sense so far? What I'm gathering is that it's just a really long way of saying it gets prorated. Basically, yeah, exactly. Okay. So it's really great that the season is 200 days this year and the cap and the trade deadline is exactly 40 days because, yeah, it gets prorated to a fifth of the season, which means you have to multiply your cap space by five to, to reach that. So, yes, that was a very long way of saying it gets prorated. Now, here's the thing. Claude Giroux makes $8.275 million. So one fifth of that is roughly $1.7 million. The 1.7 million in cap space that you need for Claude Giroux, again, going back to Tiffany's question, she said, I'm hearing people say 1.8. So that's the same number. I just divided it and I rounded up or down. So that 1.7 million that you need in Claude Giroux cap space, it needs to match the number before you prorate. So that 288K needs to match one fifth of Claude Giroux's salary, but it doesn't. Because if you're going to multiply the two point the 288K by five to get to 1.4, that 1.4 will match Claude Giroux's full salary. But if you divide both by five, the 288K needs to match the 1.7K that you or 1.7 million that you need for Giroux. So in order to get to 1.7 for Giroux, the Avalanche are at 288. They need to free up 1.4 million in full season salary or a prorated, you know, version of the full number of 8.275. So that's an easy way of saying. They need 1.3, 1.4, right around their million in salary. So Darren Helms, 1 million would not be enough. Ryan Murray's 2 million would be enough. Tyson Jost, 2 million would be enough. So basically, you can get Claude Giroux at his full salary and get, or at his half salary and then you know have that pro rate in there and only trade Tyson Jost. And then you obviously have to add into the fact that Teams are going to eat up some salary cap. The Flyers are going to eat up some cap space. You're going to trade him to somebody else, so on and so forth. So that's a very, very long and terrible way of me saying that I just jumbled all your brains with all these numbers, <laughs> but the cap gets prorated. That's ultimately what it is. So you have a prorated cap when you're acquiring. It's kind of like Peter Forsberg. If, if you can think all the way back to 2008, when he signed that contract late in the year to join the team for the playoff run, he signed a $5 million contract, but since he signed it so late in the season, it prorated to 1.3. So when you acquire Claude Giroux, you're not acquiring his whole 8.275, you're acquiring 1.7, but you only have 200K in cap space right now. So that's pretty much the way to answer that question as best as I can without being a cap genius. It's And I could be off by a couple things, but that's ultimately the way it works. Uh, I thought that was pretty thorough and my brain is definitely scrambled a little Ooh, bit. I would have just have a said, headache. <sighs> it gets prorated. Jesus. Thank you, Tiffany. But either way, thanks, Tiffany, for the question. I hope that helps you understand a little bit. Arif. I'm over here gasping for air after that one. Good job. No, I, and the funny thing is, I, I, I'm a numbers guy, and I love numbers, and that, that one hurt me, too. You really got going there, too. It was just Oof. like a motor. Oh, I guess that's a great place to end the podcast if yeah, people are still awake. Let's call our game. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Patrick. Patrick, wake up. Sorry, I'm here. I'm here. He said numbers, and I I fell asleep. Oh well, we got We need you to end the podcast with us here. So I guess, Arif, do you have any more closing thoughts? No, that was a great explanation. Don't feel you know self conscious about you just spewing out a bunch of numbers. <laughs> I definitely understood it, and there are people out there that are gonna understand it too. There might be people that don't though. But either way, we appreciate it both is what sides. It is. If you have a subscription to The Athletic, go read Peter's article from February 10. He pretty much breaks down what I just said in words. So you can go back and read it over and over again until it makes a little more sense. But 
for my closing thoughts, that's that's basically it, man. We got a crazy road trip coming up. I'll be in Detroit next week, but we have two more games before then. Right on, right on. So thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone, and we out you. <laughs> <laughs>